You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Woo-hoo! What up, my brothers? <laughs> Look at Andy, I'm doing a stand-up routine today. So like, if we hear a big thud, we know it didn't work out? Yeah, exactly. Well, I can still go back to my chair, which yeah. will probably happen in about five minutes. But that's that's all right. So you're back. You're, you're out, of the, uh, out of the limousine bus life, huh? Yep. It's been retired since, since it cost me anywhere from $3.89 a gallon to... Five dollars and twenty nine cents. That's what it was. That's I walked going across the U.S. and I went uh, through kind of uh, you know through the Midwest and then Colorado, then to Utah, Vegas, Arizona, and then kind of all the way back. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was it was interesting. But that last the last day we took to get from Arizona home, as my daughter was with. And she wanted to get back 30 hours that included sleep, stopping at restaurant, stopping at a restaurant. We actually ate in one restaurant and then getting gas about freaking five or six times. And I, and I never asked, do you have a little like bathroom or anything in that bus or do you? Yeah, but you know, I don't, you don't use yeah. that. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's only for if you're getting crazy and actually using it for what it's supposed to be used for. Well, you have to you have to like win, de-winterize everything, and then I'd have to re-winterize it again. That just wouldn't work. I saw you in Vegas. I don't think your urine would freeze. <laughs> really? <laughs> I bet it's I bet it's more than fifty percent alcohol. Oh, okay. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Hey, where were your favorite spots on the on the road trip? I uh, I'll tell you the one country that I could not believe. Was Utah? Jeez, what was that? That was my phone. I was watching us on my phone just to make sure. Utah, St. George, Utah. Oh yeah, the the coolest. I even rented a bike. It was it was an electric bike, but it wasn't like it would just be electric. You had to actually pedal and stuff. And then uh, I even watched a couple sunsets. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, I don't and I don't do that stuff, and so it was like really, really cool. I heard I heard that the electric bikes are the number one source of injuries for the sixty plus crowd. Oh, there was tons of them, tons of those people out. It was unreal, and I wouldn't say it was sixty; I'd say it's seventy plus. <laughs> so, but they were going. I mean, they were they were moving. Like, Why what? wouldn't you? I mean, if you got all that power, you might as well use it. Yeah, yeah. It went up to like twenty. You could get it to twenty miles an hour, but you'd have to you have to get it. Put your um, you know, into the highest thing, like a 10, like a 10 yeah. speed. And then once you get it going, then it just goes faster. So see when I, last time I did any kind of a national park, we did the segways where we were down in the garden of the gods down in uh, Colorado, not too far from where Nick went to school. And yeah. uh, that was, that was awesome. And uh, crazy at the same time. Cause here all of a sudden you have a bunch of people that don't know how to ride segways, riding segways on a busy road. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the Red Rock Amphitheater, you know, and I was kind of checking it out. And uh, and I just went up a whole bunch of stairs. And then Morgan, my daughter, called me. And I'm like, oh, oh, I'll call you back. <laughs> I couldn't even breathe. It was like, come on. That's terrible. Dad, they delivered the pizza to the truck. We're uh... <laughs> I, I totally forgot to, to do this. I was going to do it for this episode, but I'll do it for next one. Chris was sending uh, the family group chat like videos of like yeah. his experience in the in the van, and it was yeah. it was funny. It was like a guy that had no idea what he was doing. He's like, "Okay, this we're gonna go this way. We're gonna do this. We'll put those out next time." You're gonna play one of them? Oh god, those were for family. What the heck? It's a total. I was actually I had my inner Andy in me when I was doing them. Maybe those could be the TikToks, Nick. The start of the TikTok thing. All right, what are we talking about, the market? That sounds like a good idea. Go ahead. I mean, we're kind of, I guess we're back now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to kind of, we have to do this again. Um, 
Boy, I don't. That, obviously, a lot of things have changed over the last week, even uh, the last two weeks. But yeah. um, I, I really haven't seen it um, from the housing side of it yet. Have you had any? I mean, we get new buyers that are coming in, and you know, yeah. I mean, it's obviously coincided with the spring market, and people I, still get their I stuff ready. I've been looking at like new construction too, where you feel like there's a bunch of firewood. There's a gallon of gas and somebody's ready to throw a match. Yeah. I'm waiting for it to go boom. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, right now I've seen uh, in the last probably 30 to 40 days where lumber, like it did a year and a half ago, um, skyrocketed and it's throwing everybody's budgets off on building, scaring all the builders into writing all new contracts. I'm seeing builders right now, Chris, that are signing contracts that are open-ended contracts where every item on the thing is an open actual allowance where lumber 48,000 uh, comes in at 50, you're paying the 2000 difference, you know, and all that right down the line and uh, from HVAC to cabinets. And, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that these builders are lacking confidence as we're starting the parade of homes on Saturday, uh, as the builders are lacking confidence in their current suppliers, current suppliers have been actually, I'm talking like suppliers and vendors that have been vendors for 25, 30 years for some of these builders are turning their backs on these builders. Sorry, can't get your windows. Sorry, can't get your trim. Sorry about the cabinet order. Can't get it done. So these builders are being forced to go out and find new uh, suppliers, which my gosh, guys, I'll tell you what, you ever wanted to see a business opportunity that's wide open right now, get into the cabinet business, get into the supply business. Um, if you can get it, of course, right? I mean, there are some wide open doors right now to grab market share that opportunities I've never seen before because these builders that used to just be locked up, right? They they wouldn't even talk to me. If I use Billy Bob's cabinets and they wouldn't talk to anybody else, now they're talking to everybody because they have to. Otherwise, they're not building houses. You don't build houses, you don't make money. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, the shark that has to keep swimming. It was interesting because exactly what you're saying. I was talking to a big uh, national builder and it's just weird hearing them saying, you know what, we're talking to different window vendors now. We're not able to get our stuff. And and the, and the facts are, is that they have to get these houses done. And they've got yeah. to do what they've got to do to be able to get them done. And so they're, they're got lots of people finding out the quality and, and how these things are running and if they can get them. But I mean, windows, it depends who you talk to. I mean, you're anywhere from 14 weeks to 26 weeks yep. for windows. That's, the same thing. that's a long ways, but I'm going to, I'm going to be kind of excited to go. I got one. I got one better than that. So our window manufacturer, one of them for one of the guys I'm working with calls us and says, yeah, you're not going to believe this, but our plant just got hit by a tornado on Saturday. Yeah. And I'm like, during the snowstorm, apparently down in Iowa, Iowa had some tornadoes ripping through there. We're doing significant damage. And of course it has to be to the window plants. My God, yeah. you know, the, the one, uh, the one that's already behind the wheel about 10 miles. Oh. I wonder what gas prices are going to do to all this stuff. That's going to be the next piece. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited. Um, not that we don't have a spring preview model, but we don't, um, which is kind of nice. I can go out and see everything else. But to find out how people are pricing and how they're doing things yeah. and just to see, um, you know, what different people are Go, taking different routes and, and it yeah. is it's it's a it's a it's a wicked thing i'm in the middle of a a big uh, remodel project and uh with combination of you know like things i didn't know that were bad <laughs> and then you uncover and then you have to redo them mm -hmm. versus pricing i think i might be it might be a couple hundred thousand dollars difference now i mean yeah. which is it, that, i mean that's what i'm saying i yeah, go, sorry, didn't interrupt you. I did the same thing. I was pulling back on a project I was working on that um, my cost started shooting up over 150000 over. And I'm yeah. like, you know what? I'm just going to wait. And I hate to be that guy, but I can be. I don't have any pressure. So I'll just wait until pricing gets back under control a little bit. Um, but like I said, some of these suppliers have to sit with some inventory on the shelf for half a day, and they're going to panic. And then also you're going to see value come back. I think the, the plumber, the electrician, the HVAC, the whoever – that's been so busy for so long and they can't find help eventually when they don't need the help anymore. And eventually when they're only working a four day week again, they might get a little more, but Hey, these people were working for years underneath what they honestly should have been making for years. Yeah. 
and scared to ask for more money. Now they're asking for money and everybody's going crazy on them. I'm one of them. I'm like, hey, what are you doing to your pricing? It's just crazy. We used to get a house done for 14,000 for HVAC. Now it's 26,000. What the hell? I mean, it almost doubled. Mm -hmm. And you know, and you look at these companies, they're like, well, you're getting more efficient systems. You're getting better, more blah, blah. You know, people yeah. don't care. Some do, some don't. And I think that sometimes the crazy thing about what happens with these pricing things, it's once they've done it and got you used to it, it's hard to kind of come back from it. Yeah. And so that's the next thing that we're going to see. Is it just going to kind of stay there? Or are no, we going to get, not. yeah, right. I mean, you hope, you hope it doesn't, but I think it was almost too much, but if it would have been a 30 to 40,000 type thing on a house versus a hundred to 150 a house that uh, those things can kind of stick. Well, Andy, crazy, I'm curious. You know, the other crazy, you know, the other crazy thing on top of this compounding on top of that, my friend is this. So now you've had house shortage for so long. Now I'm starting to see developers going, ah, we're going to hold off on that project my fuel costs and my, you know, uh, you know, a lot of the asphalts and everything else that's based on oil prices have doubled. And so now you're seeing projects that used to cost $45,000, let's say on average for improvements um, from taking it from raw land, to actually delivering it cost to the developer, um, to the consumer, and then they would mark it up. Then you used to have lots in the seventies and eighties. Well, now some of these projects are costing 80 to 120,000 to improve. And in these these landowners, you're like, my God, these lots will be two hundred thousand dollars, and they're like, the the consumer's not ready for that, or the market's not ready for that. I mean, yeah. when you had lots that were in the, you know, you look at like the North Metro, like Blaine. I would say a good survey of last year was one fifteen to one twenty was kind of average. Three years prior to that, it was ninety five thousand. Now it's one forty five, and they're saying, oh, these new lots are going to come in close to two hundred in Blaine, and I'm like, yeah. ah. We're good. I mean, I just don't see how the consumer is going to jump. I mean, who's going to pay nine hundred grand for a three thousand square foot above ground house? Now, sounding like an old man here, but I'm saying you're pushing too hard, guys. We got to pull back a little bit because if we keep pushing this hard on pricing, you're going to just turn people off so much that they're not going to do it, or they're going to figure out alternative routes like doing it themselves. Or you're going to see people saying, "Okay, fine, I'll do this, but I'm going to try to buy it myself." You know, the other the other thing that might happen too is. Uh, more rural stuff will start selling again. Yeah. I mean, if it gets too expensive inside, they just kind of keep moving out. But I was, yeah, I was I have three, three right now, Chris, three customers right now that are moving completely out of the Twin Cities metro area and moving out to smaller rural areas. Yeah, yeah, they can get a lot better deal. Land is usually uh, the thing that is is the best the best part of that deal. But yep. Andy, I'm curious, um, the project you're holding back on is it the cabin on the lake? Yeah. Okay, so let's let's talk about that because I think that's kind of interesting that people that I mean you still have a lake lot and you still yeah. own the lot. Yep. Are you I mean based on covenants of what you can do can are you able to go let's say camping up there or bring a trailer up there or <laughs> enjoy it, you know what I mean? I got to be honest with you, I'm not really trailer material, but that I could well, I, know, but... For, I think we're allowed to do it for like 3 months out of the year. Okay. Um or the, it's up to the county. I th I don't think anybody at the development level cares. Um, it's more or less the enforcement by the, uh, the county, but, um, you know, I'm not saying that I won't do it. I just, I've never pictured myself doing something like that, but it's such a pretty piece of land. And it's, it's just, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to spend $150,000 on a pole barn. I mean, it just, it, to me, it blows my mind. And maybe I'm going to be sitting here in 10 years saying, I wish I would have did it back then. But, you know, right now I, I feel like there's a lot of dust getting blown around and I'm kind of just saying, all right, I'm gonna let the dust settle. And then if, if it holds that, and it, let's say in six months or a year, we're still seeing same values coming in, then I might proceed with the project. But things just move too fast, too quick. It was like the ice cracking and I stopped and I go, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Right? Kind of yeah. that reaction to something happening right around you. And I think yeah. you're seeing a lot of consumers do the same thing, but. I was just one years old when my family started in real estate, where both my parents were agents. They also dabbled in investing in real estate, rentals, flips, and construction. After college, I went right into getting my license in July of 1990. As a 23-year-old agent in an industry that looks nothing like today, I had to know more for my clients to choose me. There wasn't Zillow or social media to tell them how good I was. I had to win them over with knowledge. With knowledge comes confidence, and with confidence comes results. Call that guy, man. I know that guy. Do I look I, better? You know, 
Do I look better now than I did in that video or not? You, you always, man. You're always yeah. an ongoing improvement. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Thank you know, you. in that commercial, um, by the way, this segment brought to you by Chris Rooney with Chris Rooney Home Experts. Um, call wow. today for the best market analysis you've ever had. Um, <laughs> I just tell you, I just tell you whatever you want to hear. Yeah. And then I just, yeah. I'm a yes man. How did I go from this? Andy, do you yeah. feel like like we're getting in trouble from like Wizard of Oz back there when he throws these things on? And it's like it must be we have to shut up and we have to get back to the thing. Well, you got two guys that like to talk here. Yeah, exactly. it's our favorite topic. So, okay, so that that little. Uh, do that one more time, and then I have. How did I go from this to this? Do you, do you so know what I like about it? What? If you looked at that original picture, those townhouses are looking right into their business. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they put that that little umbrella up there to block, give them a titch of privacy. And uh, I, I think it's an interesting concept. I don't know if it would have went up because that just amplifies the problem. You're like looking at people in an aquarium, you know, out your window. <laughs> yeah. What are you, what are you having for dinner? Um, but I, th I think it was an improvement. Yeah. I was thinking too, though, uh, like something like that, um, upgrading your landscaping. Yes. And creating that outside stuff that that might be something people um, kind of push on now versus adding on a, a pole barn for 150 grand and yeah. where, you know, maybe your, uh, you know, rocks and what you collect around the place, you know, you can kind of create into something a lot more. And it makes, obviously watching that, it makes a huge difference uh, landscape and because it becomes a lifestyle. And when you create a lifestyle for someone and they can imagine sitting back there next to a, you know, a fire and with their friends and hanging out and watching the dog run around, you know, you, you give them that vision and that that's what pe makes people happy and they'll spend money to be happy. Well, and, you know, I think one other thing, one other suggestion I would have if somebody has a similar situation where there's probably rules where you can only go up so high with your fence, for example. Right. Trees. Yeah. There's no limit on trees. So if you would have planted some of those like, you know, uh, I call them the, the uh, English garden style. They grow straight up style arborvitas and put, you know, six of them across the back. That would have became a natural wall, and within about two years, you wouldn't even have, you wouldn't even have a view of those townhouses. You know what I mean? Right. Someone with a nine one nine number said, "Hey, I spoke to my boyfriend, and he thinks I shouldn't buy a house right now because the market is going to crash, and his uncle's sister's cousin bought a foreclosure seven years ago. So we are going to just do that." Sorry for the trouble. I know you showed me 27 houses. Ha ha ha. Cheers, brother. Here's to you. Here's to you all the other real estate agents out there trying to make a living. <laughs> well, I don't know. Is, is that a phone call you've heard before? Well, no. Uh, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, back in the day, not, not recently, but back in the day, that was very common to have happen where people just don't think, you know, they don't, they don't know. I mean, honestly, so it's important for agents to tell these people like, listen, I'll show you three houses for free. After that, we got to know that we're going to make sure you're going to buy a house. I, I would say I have no problem spending an hour, you know, getting to know each other. Let's go see three quick houses, kind of get a feel for the market, see if this is something for you. But once you get to that point of where you're ready to shop, I mean, I'm making an investment into you and you need to make the investment back in yourself. So if you're committed Let's go shopping for houses. If you're not, that's okay. Let's go, you know, um, talk to me in six months. Let's go do three more houses again. But it's it is what's what's hot hard is that I think a lot of people rely on sources like Zillow and they just click and they book a showing and the quote Zillow agent shows up and there's zero value. They should be charging for those showings. Zillow agents should charge 50 bucks a showing, or Zillow should. And and you know what I mean? And all these people that just keep using agents for just opening up the door for entertainment. Um, and, and it's a real problem in our industry and you'll see things change because of it. But until agents stop doing it, it's never going right. to change. I mean, because people are, are willing to do it with the hope of maybe someday 
that that person might agree to it. And they almost think it's like they're they're working. But I think here's the other thing. And people have to realize this, that if you do not have an exclusive right or a non-exclusive right to represent somebody, you don't represent them. Correct. You don't have a contract with them and you don't work in their best interest. And and I think a lot of people. Well, skirt let, me that issue. Hold on. let me ask you a quick question. So are you saying to me that all the agents that are showing houses to people? Uh, that they're meeting in the driveway, they're technically misrepresenting reality and that they're not representing that buyer yet? 100%. I mean, okay. 100%. And that's so the Zillow, that's what the you're saying is Zillow does illegal business practices. Um, <laughs> Pillow? I'm kidding. Pillow? Hey, I thought you were going to be on their board of directors or something. Look I am. I'm, uh, I'm taking over Zillow. We're going to make that thing zing. First so, thing we're going to do is make it profitable by hooking into the right agents. My God, all they do is hook into whoever's got the money. Right now, I'm like, let's look into the credibility first. Show that you actually have good agents working with you that actually know what they're talking about. And I go, you could completely change the industry. Hey. Got nothing in my brain. Got nothing. That's a solo agent. I've played so many of those games where you forget their name. You know, and it's just kind of like you, you spend the whole time trying to get it back again. But now I totally I use the whole name thing is once I hear their name, I associate them with someone I know. And oh, then really? at that point, then yeah, then I've got it. I know? make a rhyme like I'd say Jace in your face. And then I'd remember that the whole time I'm talking to him. <laughs> I bet you did do that. Hey, I was going to say something, Nick, before again, you threw me off that uh, and threw that other video in. But I was. I was on my travels in my sprinter out in some remote territory. I happened upon a coffee shop and I and I saw a guy there sitting at a table. He was kind of drinking his coffee. He had like all these listing papers in front of him with a big Wall Street journal in front of him. And then I found out it was in Champlin. It was in Champlin. I think Andy took some ideas well, I put from on my the- big readers. Uh, <laughs> hi folks, how you doing? Andy and I were talking earlier this week and we were talking about that Josh Altman stuff. And yeah. uh, it, I, I'm going to see Andy doing that in some uh, Starbucks or Caribou. Well, you know, uh, do we have, do we have a quick second, Nick, to talk about that story? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, think he's so going to let us. Altman from that million dollar listing, I've always thought, you know, oh, you know, these guys are all fakey, fake and bake. And, and he told his whole story from the beginning, like where, how they started, how him and his brother went to California, started flipping houses. They finally had a million dollars of profit they were working with. They put it all into a big house and just about lost everything. I mean, right down to their their shorts. And they started over. And then he says, I started selling mortgages, cold calling and phone books. So he builds up this great story about how he's built himself up from literally from nothing. And the best advice that the guy gave, I thought, was he goes, hey, you want to sell the biggest houses? You got to hang out where the people that own the biggest houses hang out. Country clubs, yacht clubs, um, golf courses, you know, wherever, right? Um, and uh, be a bartender at the fancy bar, whatever. He goes, you got to be in front of these people. So he goes, you know where I hang out? And everybody's kind of like joking around. He goes, I hang out at the Beverly Hills uh, Starbucks. And he goes, and if I ever see you there, he goes, I'm going to throw you out. He goes, he go- I-, I illegally parked my Bentley in the front. He goes, because it says, of course, it says Josh sells on the back or something like that. And um so he's sitting there and he talks about how he goes, this NBA star walks in the restaurant into the, into the coffee shop. And he goes, so of course I'm sitting there with my wall street journal. He goes, I got my MLS listing spread out on the table. He goes, I had an hour to kill. So he goes, why don't I go kill it at a Starbucks? Maybe pick up a, a client, you know, that is looking for a house. And long story short, he goes, of course, this guy comes in, he's seven foot tall. He goes, I immediately throw my drink away, get back in line to buy another drink. Yeah. And he goes, Oh, this is driving me crazy. I, I just, I, I, I want to introduce myself to this guy so bad. He's going, he's spinning in a circle. He finally goes, sir, boop, 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 you know, taps his shoulder. Guy turns around and goes, yeah. And he goes, uh, hey, Josh Altman here from uh, Bear, the Million Dollar Listing, California, whatever it is. And uh, he goes, cool. Turns around. <laughs> he goes, oh, uh, you know, so anyway, long story short, he convinces this individual that he just showed this really unique property up the street. He goes, you can see it right there. He goes. It has uh, an 18,000 square foot main house. It has a 4,000 square foot, um, you know, kind of like helper house, you know. It has another like 6,000 square foot guest house. And he goes, it's all in one property community area in the middle of the pool. 
And the guy goes, I've been looking for a house like that for over a year. And so anyway, long story short, he on the spot brought LeBron James up the hill, showed him that house, wrote it for $26 million and on the spot sold that house. And he goes, what, what I liked about Josh is he's putting himself in positions to have an opportunity to be successful. He's putting himself in those right opportunities at the right moments. What? Why are you laughing? Nothing. You're oh. funny. That's oh, I just why. loved it. I just thought he, I, I, I admired his, his uh, tenacity. He's one of those guys that doesn't just sit back and like, hey, I'm famous. Come to me. He's out there still hustling, shaking the, the bushes, as they say, you know, trying to make things happen. And I loved it. So. It was Andy, funny. Oh, go ahead. You, we, you told that story last week. It's a good story, though. Yeah. <laughs> I love you know it. You, hey. you guys can also remind me that I have uh, 50-year-old Alzheimer's and I could time out, you know, hey, or like hey. this is what I do to my wife. The second time she tells a story, I go like this. The third time I go like this. You can just go, Chris, just go like this and I'll know. Hey, I'll tell you what, Nick. If you, Andy has all the analogies that you've ever heard. Swear to God, we were on the radio together for I don't even know how many years. He never repeated one of them. And it's like unreal. Like he'd have two or three a show and they'd never be the same. And it's like, how, how do you possibly do that? <laughs> That's good. But I was going to say, I just heard Karen, who works with me, um, she all of a sudden I was telling her about that, you know, that Josh Altman story that you told me because we were talking about that. And uh, she goes, oh, my God, your wife, his wife is so awesome. And, you know, that she worked with Madison before and then, you know, met him at an open house. And I'm like, what? I mean, like do everything about these people. And it's like, I don't well, know. He, I, he was very honest. He shared that. Right. I mean, he was he had his kid and his wife there and he goes, you know how to screw your competition? And they're like, why? And he goes, he goes, screw their assistant. He goes, just kidding, honey. Just kidding. And he's like, I'm like, oh, my God. He said this in front of 8,000 people. And yeah. his wife, like, that's get, my husband. You can get away with that in Vegas. Yeah. Nothing. 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 <laughs> so true, my friend. Just had, uh, I had an agent in our office who happens to be my brother-in-law. He told me that they wrote an offer for seventy-two thousand over. Um, this is in the five hundred price range. Seventy-two thousand over, no inspection, total appraisal coverage, so it wasn't contingent upon anything, and lost. So I mean, yeah, it's just it's crazy. But then there's some, um, you know, that all of a sudden you see sit for a week, and isn't this the truth, Andy? You're like, God, what's wrong with this? And typically, what it is is that people are trying to determine what people are going to pay for it versus letting them decide how much over they're going to go. And when you do that, you you really hurt yourself. So if you're thinking, gosh, if I go $4.99, I'll probably get $5.50. Let's list it at $5.50. Ain't going to work. It doesn't work. Nope. You got to go $4.99. You got to get the $4.50s to push the $5.50s yeah. and the $5.50s will go to $5.75. You, you got to play the psychology 101. I think it's more important for people to understand human like nature before anything else, like negotiating is great. But if you don't understand that people are looking for value, even though they know they're going to get ripped off, they're looking for that value. So when you advertise the 499, you get a lot more attention, right? You get more people coming. And then the good buyer that's sitting there sees three other cars in the driveway goes, I better make sure I have a good offer. The other buyers that are just there just to see what three 499 looks like, they may not even be a buyer anyway. But what it does is it helps push the buyer that was already there up a little bit and they can afford to do that up. And it just, it's been, I don't know that, but here's what I'd say to you guys. That's where the appreciation has been the last year and a half, two years. It's not because the economy is great and oh my God, just everything's just good. And we're making, we're printing money here. It's great. It's because bidding wars have just brought the values up. And in the very few houses that are selling are getting in bidding wars. And that's why you're seeing appreciation. It's not good old fashioned. Hey, we're kicking ass, taking names and the houses are just going up in value. It's that's not why. So I'm a little concerned um, that once the, the legs fall off this table, as I keep saying that, you know, where maybe we lose that momentum for a little while, it's not going to recede as much as it's going to just get honest. You know, it's going to get back to that sort of 499. It might go for 510 instead of 550. Yeah. Cause that's what it's worth. Well, they said I could have 30 seconds on the show for a quick ad. Andy Prasky, Remax Advantage Plus, Andy at Prasky.com. If you want to email us, 
Here's the thing, 22 years in the business, over 1,400 sales, I'd like to help you with your real estate needs. If that's buying, if that's selling, if that's building, whatever it is, give us a call, send us an email. Let's get you started on your real estate journey. I'd like to help you on the way. Uh, lots of experience here, and uh, I would like to put it to work for you. Andy Prasky, Remax Advantage Plus, thanks for listening to the show. Holy moly, we got a... No one near as cool as your commercial, Chris. <laughs> someday, someday you'll get it. I just, Does Mark I got, get a commercial? What's that? Does Mark, Mark get a commercial? He gets one. He's 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 doing a tour right now, an appraisal tour. See him walking oh. around? He's working. Is that right? Somebody Mark, is. Hi, guys. Mark, Mark Peterson with Peterson Appraisals. Uh, Mark's done a lot of work. Actually, I've known Mark since... Uh, very, very long, long, long time ago. Yeah. Um, someone, someone just reminded me yesterday that uh, my I graduated over thirty-five freaking years ago. I can't even believe that from high school. Gosh, damn. But anyways, um, we, we brought Mark on because I thought it would be, we thought it would be really interesting to be able to kind of um, talk about the whole appraiser end of this thing and in a market that's kind of crazy. And I think for the appraisers to be able to get not attacked and beat up and um, uh, pillaged by all of us realtors. They're, they're having to try to come up with these appraisals to be able to try to get our values. So, Mark, what is it like nowadays in this uh, industry? It's a real challenge right now, Chris. I mean, the market uh, is really jumping up. It's, the pattern's kind of been the same the last three, four years, where as soon as the, the spring hits, um, you're seeing what I call the crazy season where people are buying houses, sometimes sight unseen for thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 above list price. And, uh, you know, this time of year, it's the, the comps haven't kept up with it. They haven't closed yet. So it makes it a challenge to, um, you know, try and justify the increases in the values. So Mark, I have a question for you. So um, in the near future with under, you know, the rules, the overlays or whatever they have from these banks, you think they're going to start changing the overlays a little bit with the concept of, hey, this was the offer. They offered 100000 over and paid it in cash. Even though that is truly the sale price, that's what the market was willing to bear. Is the bank going to ride that all the way up or does the bank actually say, hey, that was a fluke situation in this area and we're, we're not going to count that one anymore? What do you, you know, it's that? hard to say because there's also thing they've been given uh, waivers where they're not even having appraisals. And I'm concerned about that because, you know, if they, if somebody buys a house $50,000 over value, over list price, and they just get an appraisal waiver, was that really, you know, a valid sale? And next thing you know, that shows up on MLS and it never had an appraisal done on it. So that could right. really impact the whole market. That That's interesting. That's kind of a, a the hidden market because that's God, I never thought of that, but that's kind of, and, and what happens is it's typically it's in an area that can kind of handle that uh, value, but yet typically that the creditor or the person that's getting the credit has really good credit and maybe a strong down payment. And so then they waive the appraisal, but they might be paying over for that. Now all of a sudden Mark is using it on another borrower who's putting 5% down and saying, Hey, this is, I mean, this is totally worth it. It, it closed and it, went for 550 at over full price and and in reality it might not have but so that's kind of that's a interesting piece to that mm -hmm. well and think think about this guys mark is actually trying to figure out the statistics for the bank on the the risk threshold that's that's what appraisers are they're basically statisticians telling them statistically yes this house is worth what you so your 80 to 20 ratios are correct so when they get thrown off like that that's where i'm concerned like do they just throw that one to the side because, you know, hey, you're out in Buffalo and one house sells lists at 700, you get offers for 780. They put an extra 80,000 down because it only appraises normally at 700, but it closes as a finance built house, which is a crazy amount of money down. So for the bank, they don't have a lot of buyers that have that much money down on every file. So their risk threshold, their, their investment portfolio gets a lot riskier if you think about it when they start investing into that new higher level because- Somebody putting 10% down now, if they're subjective to having that house drop 70,000, immediately the bank's in a negative equity position. So, you know what I mean? It's like, that's where I, in the back of my head, I'm running like, hey, how are they going to guide you as an appraiser? 
Yeah, it's 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 a challenge. One thing also I've learned is that there's a lot of cash out there. I can't believe the amount of properties that are selling for cash. I mean, four or five hundred thousand. You see them, cash deal, cash deal. I don't know where all this money's coming from, but it's just it's amazed how many people actually pay cash for houses. That again, that has issues from my end because it, you know, they don't really need an appraisal. So if you come in and pay cash. Was that house really worth it? Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. And what people are doing, the whole cash deal, is there's a lot of first-time home buyers that are going cash. And you're like, well, how the heck is that happening? Well, the parents are doing it. And then they're maybe refinancing after, or the parents are just borrowing them the money because that's the only way they can win yeah. You know, on these offers. And so then they're doing it. But I think, what do you do when you have a house that, we all know that, yeah, oh my gosh, this 100%, this is what the market's doing. And there's no question that it's worth it. But you haven't, the, mar the market, you said it, the market hasn't caught up with uh, the appraisals because those, they haven't closed yet. Mm. How do you, how do you deal with that? When you know, yeah, gosh, all these other ones are, they're going to close. I found out from them, but they're not closed. What do you do? Well, there's several options. First of all, you got to use the most current data available you know the sale that sold six months ago may not be valid anymore you might have to kind of throw that one mile radius out the window and and go three four miles away um use pending sales use current listings um make time adjustments uh you know a lot of times i'll i'll call the lender and say hey this one's gonna close can i can I push this appraisal out past your typical due date to allow this one to close so I can include it in my report? So there's things you can do, but it's still a challenge. And, you know, some sometimes these properties appraise out, sometimes they don't. Um, and lenders and agents, they understand what the good ones understand what's going out there. And they're writing stuff in the purchase agreement saying, if it doesn't appraise out, we'll make up the difference in cash or will make up the difference up to X amount of dollars in cash. So there's options out there, you know, as long as everybody involved understands the situation and mm -hmm. it, typically you can work it out. And how does an appraiser look at that? Because you obviously what happens is that you guys get the purchase agreement. You have to know all the details of the sale so you can give a value to the house. But all of a sudden in that purchase agreement, it states that the buyer is willing to cover up to $30,000 of an appraisal shortfall. Does that just automatically give you the ability to go 30,000 lighter or how do appraisers look at that? No, I, I don't really say, Oh, I can appraise this place for 30 grand less. That's not what I do. I mean, I'm aware of the situation. I can see what's going on in the purchase agreement. Uh, it really doesn't affect my overall bottom line. as far as my estimated market value for the subject. Um, but it's, you but know, I mean, it's a factor. Yeah, there's a, but there's a ton of um, liability on you guys now where we used to have it where, you know, we had a real big problem that happened here that really uh, contributed to the crash of our market. And some appraisers were involved in that. And um, it all, all of a sudden came down that now nobody can talk to the appraiser. You're kind of almost sheltered in, in an area that you can't be intimidated by anyone else. But on the other hand, um, you have a lot of liability in that if you appraise something wrong, they're going to come back after you. Is that not right? To some extent, yes. Uh, you know, I've been doing this 29 years. So I remember the days when uh, you'd get those phone calls from uh, loan officers and realtors, you know, you know, really um, pretty intimidating. And uh, those days are gone. I, that's a good thing. Um, yeah, there's there's th that really lessened my liability the new hvcc rules where you can't be you know there can't be coercion there can't be pressure but yeah there's there's still liability okay so i know andy you talked about freddie and fanny and you thought they were tightening up uh, a little on our stuff and that was that affecting um you know obviously lower appraisal prices in the marketplace Mark, have you heard of any of that or seen that, that these guys, were they're tightening up their, their stuff. So it's kind of make, making the appraisals go lower or kind of almost pushing you guys to make them lower, the appraisals. Make my appraisal values lower? Yes. 
No, I, I'm not seeing that. Okay. No, I, I think values for the short term are still going to be increasing. Yeah. But I there's mean, nothing we've like talked a lot about different Fannie Mae stuff. Yeah, there's nothing Freddie and Fannie put out there that says, "Hey, you got to watch this and your appraisal, your appraisal." Um, I don't know. Not the the word is your requirements haven't changed at all. They haven't said, "Hey, you got to watch this and the markets are the markets are tightening and you can't appraise the houses as high as you would have before." No, I'm not seeing that pressure as of yet. I mean, there's well, talk you know, about it, but. Yeah. Not not currently. Okay. I think you guys, again, it comes back to statistics, right? I mean, what are the risk thresholds that these you know investors are willing to take? And then they employ that onto these uh, situations. And what was happening before was we had like, and most people don't even know that Fannie or Freddie even holds their mortgage. You can actually go, I believe it's a website called like, does, does Fannie own my mortgage or does Freddie own my mortgage.com? And they'll tell you like, even if you have a Wells Fargo mortgage, you know, Freddie Mac could be the one that actually holds the mortgage. And so what we're talking about is that, and, you know, GSE, the government sponsored entities that are out there that are um, holding the big money. And what was, what were they talked about when we we're coming out of the housing crisis, they talked a lot about saying, Hey, let's control values in certain pockets. Like we're only gonna let certain pockets appreciate at a maximum of 10% a year, or we're not going to lend in that area. Cause they didn't want it. They want, again, statistics, thresholds, right? Risk. Um, they wanted their portfolio to be protected. Well, that's gotten thrown out the window. And, and only because, Chris, is, is that there's, like like Mark was saying, there's so many cash buyers that are saying, hey, I'm willing to pay this. Boom. Now that just became a concrete pillar that's not going to fall over because that's a cash deal. That is the market with the real money saying, I'm really willing to pay this. Right? So I think, exactly. that's all. I think the rules got thrown out the window a little bit. They were planning on making them ridiculous for years. And like, you know, oh, hey, in uh, Prior Lake, they only can go up 5% a year. Or we're not going to lend in that area. or You know what I mean? That was the idea. And then it's like, okay, that's kind of a weird version of socialism. And we're, we're not in that yet. So, yet. Yeah. <laughs> yet. Slippery slope. Yeah. Okay. The truth about square footage with an appraisal. What counts and what doesn't? Because a lot of times people, I mean, you see on your appraisal, it's like, hey, there's only 3,000 square feet. And that's, that's bull. My whole basement's finished. I got 4,500 square feet. How do, how do appraisers handle that? That is the number one question that homeowners always have with appraisals. Um, uh, there's gross living area, GLA. Gross living area is defined as above grade finished areas only. So if you have a split entry that has, you know, two bedrooms up and one bathroom, so the room count would be five, two, one, and say it's a thousand square feet, and the homeowner will look at that and say, hey, you missed the, the whole nother level. And you have to explain to them, no, the form requires me to break out above grade versus below grade areas. You know, five five rooms, two bedrooms, one bath, that is above grade only. Below grade is separated out. Um, so, yeah, that's that's one area where homeowners really kind of tend to call me and have freaking out. Does that matter then if you have a walkout? Because then the walkout technically is above grade in the back. So does that count as finished then? Nope. The, the whole level has to be above grade. And a lot of people say that, hey, I have a walkout. I can walk right out. That's true. But back to the front of the house is maybe four feet underground. You know, there's some daylight windows. The whole level has to be 100% above grade to be counted as gross living area. So, so earth homes don't have uh, a chance of getting appraised. You can do earth homes. It's just you're allowed, uh, you know, some different rules on earth homes and things like that. Yeah. But it's it's a challenge. I'm sure. Yeah. So what is that why there's problems with uh, houses that like just say a walkout rambler where they decide to kind of invert it almost and put all the bedrooms downstairs where there's no bedrooms on the upper level. It's just like it's a walkout rambler, but there's no bedrooms on the main floor. Yeah, I've ran into that. It's not real common. Um, and I mean, that's inverted floor plan. Yes, that's right. I've ran into it. It's not super common, but it's it's out there. How do you handle yeah, it? You see that in a lot of splits where they do that, where they'll have the original small bedrooms on the upper level, and then they'll make a really cool master in the basement, and then they convert one of the bedrooms upstairs to like an office or yep. something, you know, and I, when those things happen, I tend to focus on square footage and not room count. Okay. Um, and you have to explain that it's, you know, 
it's accepted in the market. It's not super common. You, you preferably you find a comparable somewhere that has a similar floor plan. That's mm -hmm. what underwriters like to see is that, you know, there's other examples in the marketplace. Okay. So how important is square footage? Because we all know it's what you put into the square footage that gets your, because in building, everyone says that. What's your square foot price? Well, the reality is what you put in there. Are you going to put a Viking range in there? Or are you going to put yeah. a Gen Air? You know, I mean, there's $15,000 difference there. So how, how, how important is the square footage when it comes to an appraisal's value? It's a it's one of the main factors in terms of a, an appraisal, and you're right. I mean, you can you can put really low end stuff into it, or you can really go high end. So I look for quality and condition along with square footage, and you can adjust for that. Yes, I mean, yeah. quality is a big deal, and condition's a big deal along with square footage. They all kind of go hand in hand. How about how about a, from a realtor, Mark? that's going to um, meet you at the property because they have to let you in for the appraisal. And then they hand you a packet full of stuff that supports that. What are, what is it that you're looking for? And then also like, you know what, that doesn't really, doesn't really matter. You know that they sometimes do that. I get a kick out of it. They give me a package and I just, I'm very polite and I say, thank you. And I really don't rely on thank it too you. much. I don't want to be influenced by anybody. Yeah. Nor are you supposed to be, right? Correct. Yeah. That's a good point. I'm just wiping off my camera, guys, just so you know, just seeing if I look better. You know, back to square footage. One thing I've, I've appraisers have issues, you know, Chris, you're an unbelievable agent, but there's times where I'll do a sale and I have no idea where this realtor got their square footage from. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'll, they'll say That's it's, so it's 2,500 square feet above grade. And I'll go out there and I'll measure it and I'll use my computerized drawing program to spit out the square footage. And they're three, 400 square feet off. Yep. Is that in Dakota County? I'm like, County? What, where, where are you getting this from? Is that Dakota County, Mark? Do you see that a lot in like Dakota County? Uh, Dakota County is pretty good. Scott County is far worse and Carver County is not good. Um, no, I have seen some realtors employing, they'll hire an appraiser to come out and actually draw and sketch out a house and put that into their listing report. I think that could be something going forward that gets to be more common because, you know, for you guys, that's a liability. If you sell a house and you telling people it's 2,500 square feet above grade and it's not that that's opening up some liability to realtors. Well, I, I see it all the time where the, the real estate agent, you know, that, and sometimes these houses have been sold, you know, two, three times since they've been built. And the wrong information has been shared three times. And yep. then you're like, you know, I just had this. This was not too long ago. I was out at a house and they said, yeah, we have about 2,600 finished square feet. And I'm walking through this house and I'm like, there's, there's no way there's even 1,500. And I'm walking through. By the time I get done, I say, hey, before I leave, I'm just going to measure quick. We were just over 1,600 square feet. And they said, oh, well, we're going to go back and we're going to sue the realtor and we're going to sue this. It's deemed reliable, but not guaranteed. Exactly. And so the problem you need is that I think as a buyer, if your spidey senses are going off and you're like, something's weird here, spend the money to hire an appraiser to make sure to validate um, the square footage you think you're getting or have your real estate agent actually measure because that is a big problem, you guys. I mean, there are people that have bought a house, lived in it for years, think it's a huge, I mean, and you're off by almost a thousand square feet. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. That's cheap insurance for a realtor. For sure. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to get the, you know, but some people, Mark, don't want to know that either. Oh, the county said this. We'll just use the county and it's from the county. And then it's mm -hmm. like, because it make, helps my listing, you know, make it look bigger and not small. It's just, it's, it's kind of a sad thing. We talk a lot about realtors on this podcast, just so you know. We, we make fun of ourselves a lot. Nobody else does. So we, mm -hmm. we, uh, such a well respected industry we're in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mark, what do you? What else do you have uh, that you that you're seeing out there? Anything that uh, people from a, a housing perspective can kind of um, learn, or agents could learn, or even lenders from an appraiser? For? Yeah, it's uh, a good question. Um, you know, just working together, everybody kind of be on the same page. Um, 
where they understand the market, understand what's going on. And, and that would be my biggest request is that a little less finger pointing, a little more co cooperation. It's not like you're not, you're not trying to not get them to appraise. I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not out there trying to kill deals. And I'm a firm believer that, you know, appraisers don't set the market. We just react to it. Um, you know, something is worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. I believe that, but there does, there is times where no matter what you do, there's no data to support certain things. Yeah. And there's, yeah. and the thing, yeah. And the thing is, is that it, it is, it's worth one, someone's willing to sell for it. Someone's willing to buy for it, but sometimes you need financing and that bank wants an appraiser to tell them that that house is worth it for them because they're lending based on what you're saying. Not what mm -hmm. we're willing to buy and sell for, but it was what you're thinking the market is worth. And I always tell people that it's not it's not whether or not my value is not there. Your lender doesn't think it's there. And so these whole appraisal gap things, I think, are a great thing. And they should have been around for a long time because for you to get your financing, that's your thing. It's not what you're willing to pay and then try to renegotiate it. So yep. that's mine. A good point. So Nick awesome. had a question here. He said, what is the best upgrade you've done to your house? Um, or it got this somewhere. It says, my partner and I bought a house dated, a dated house. It doesn't require complete renovations, but there's a lot. Andy, it's for after this uh, Mark segment. So are we are we finished with the, oh, the appraiser right. segment? I yeah, Mark, what, what other insights? I guess my big thing is, is that the, the appraisal world has been a mystery to a lot of us. And, and I think that what you, you've helped us today kind of demyth a little bit is that you guys are approachable, um, number one. Number two, you don't read Chris's packets that he leaves for you. Big, big problem for Chris. Um, <laughs> oh, they do. We're, we're all trying to work together. I think that's a key thing, right? I mean, it's, you know, the world's moving up or it's moving down or whatever, which way it's moving. I'm working as a, a group so that we can continue to provide housing at attainable, affordable pricing and um, – it's a goal we all need to work on. So, Take yeah, care. thank you guys. I it was it was fun. Yeah. yeah, Mark, you did a great job. And the other thing I want to say too is that we all have to work together. I get a lot of calls from appraisers that want to know about stuff that maybe are off market, and that we work together and, and understand and help each other because we are all in this together. We're not colluding, but the more information we can get and determine it. I just had one where it was a lake access property that. We had one appraiser that just didn't to totally didn't understand it, you know. Yeah. And then you get someone that does, and then it's like, okay, they understand that market, and know how to be able to do it. And the and I mean, it was a hundred thousand dollar difference uh, from a market value. So, um, good stuff. Thanks, guys. I was guys. looking, up, uh, Thanks, I was looking up funny stuff about uh, appraisers. Here's uh, the Grim Reaper. Is this you, Mark? <laughs> to some people, yeah, that is me. <laughs> <laughs> You're much better awesome. with just your ball cap on. You Thank you. I'm you know, representing my company here. Oh, there it is. Look at oh, that. Yeah, nice. Put that up to the camera right. so people can see it at home. How did hey, Mark, how they get a hold of you? I know a lot of people are looking for good appraisers for family situations or whatever. How do they how do they hire you, Mark? Uh Peterson Appraisals. Peterson is S E N. Uh my phone number is 612-709-6935. Um, if you're looking for a great appraiser in the South Metro, give us a call. Awesome. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, guys. Hey, uh, Andy, I don't know if we have – We I know we have – those are questions from uh, last week that we've got. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. We no, didn't read it. I figured I, know. I should read it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Nick threw it out there. What the heck? Okay, the heck? so here we go. This guy hides behind this little screen, Andy, yeah. and then he throws stuff up and then he expects us to know what he's yeah. doing. All right, here we go. I got you. Ready? Listen, okay. listen, listen. I'll read it for you. Okay. So what is the best upgrade you've done to your house? My partner and I bought a dated house. It doesn't require complete renovations, but there's a lot from 20 to 30 years ago that will eventually need to be updated. What upgrades in your home were the best bang for the buck? We are thinking that the new carpet upstairs and painting the interior ourselves will be the best first. I, I think painting anytime is going, going to be an upgrade. Um, you know, you know, another thing that I'm starting to look at is lighting. Mm -hmm. And even if it's you're manipulating lighting that, well, I'm going to give you a great example. See this light right here? Yeah. See how it's dark? 
that used to be uh, brass, had that redone. It just had that painted with a with a mat. Totally changed the whole look of it. Yep. You know, and then of course they threw it in my office, but that's all right. That uh, that's a you know kind of on those HGTV shows they'll do that stuff. They'll take the lighting yeah. fixtures down and they they spray them a different paint, and then yeah. all of a sudden you don't have to spend the money. You're just a six dollar can of paint. You're oh. good. Totally it makes a huge, huge monster difference. And uh, but I like that. I mean, Andy, I don't know about you, but I would I would concentrate on the kitchen. Yeah, the kitchen it's to me. Bathrooms. Is, I like bathrooms too. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think kitchen uh, like a master bedroom, um, curb appeal, kind of that that first curb appeal. But I think you can do so much with painting. I was I went over to a house on acreage and they had the old cedar. These guys literally took off, had, had this one machine come in and made it like it's totally brand new and then painted it. I mean, this house is 28 years old and it looks like it's got brand new siding, but it was cedar and they brought something in. I don't know what it was, but it, I mean, it made it like it, it's perfect and brand, brand cool. new. Well, and it probably got them, they probably ended up because of that, um, probably ended up 50 to 75,000 more. Um, you know, and think about this too, Chris. I mean, you know, not not everybody has the you know the two hundred grand to throw out a renovation project. So, let's say you've got ten grand or fifteen grand. If you put that money where you get to experience the the benefit of it, so you know maybe it's redoing the TV room. I know it sounds silly, but you'll enjoy that. You know, the return on investment may, may not be as great, but now you're living in that house. You have the room that you really love. You've got the TV you want. You've got the carpet redone. It's painted really nice. It's a cool feel. Um, you know, that then you can enjoy that every day. That's something that once you, I, I think if somebody falls in love with their house, it, it changes. They put on different goggles, right? They're, they're, they think differently. Like now, hey, let's attack the kitchen next. Let's put in some granite. Let's repaint the cabinets. Let's put in some fresh appliances. Boom, the kitchen's done. New flooring. No, Then they go up to the bathroom. You put in some, you know, nice new uh, bathroom fixtures, update, you know. And that, those are things that I think that are, light and easy or, or like hardware, my goodness, just going through, like you said, Chris, and taking out all the gold, um, you know, and, and, and changing the color on the hardware can make a gigantic difference and, and just take your time. Not a lot of your money. Andy, I'm going to come see you this weekend at one of your models. Good. Hey, last question. We got three minutes left. Good, <laughs> good or bad to buy a house in a neighborhood where LLCs are buying single family homes for rentals. Good if you want to rent. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with being in a rental area. Um, if you're going to rent, if, if you're, if you want uh, a neighborhood that uh, you're going to be uh, have neighbors next to you for a long time and grow roots there, that might be a little more difficult. But uh, I don't think it. Uh, I don't. It's not you a know, bad thing. Only, only, you go in on. Yeah, the only thing I'd say is you're a little more vulnerable to the values being either. You know, it depends on how the, the owners um, treat their, their clients. You know, do they keep the properties in great shape or do they let them get decrepit and become, you know, kind of the slumlord and the, the house has got, you know, all this deferred maintenance that's not being done, um, which actually could hurt your, your resale. Um, so if there's covenants, are there protections that are in place, stops, if you will, that will stop people from, you know, getting to that level? Um, I think it'd be fine to invest in there because there's a lot of great people that are renting houses right now too, waiting for their next opportunity. Yeah. But they're usually in and out and they don't do a ton of stuff. So, uh oh, what's this? Got a question for me uh, about the whole situation going on over here. Am I seeing refugees yet? Um, I'm actually starting to see a lot on dating apps. So I think uh, they're coming. And uh, but other than that, everything is calm. People are going to work. I do. Someone messaged me saying, hey, what organization should I, we give to for um, charity? Because you never know who you're giving money to and if they're taking or not. I could probably find uh, some real legit ones and put it in the, in the radio show if someone wants to, to donate to, to Ukraine. But again, be very careful who you give your money to because I heard there's a lot of scams going on. But other than that, no, life is, is fine over here. Nothing too, uh, too dangerous that I can see with my own eyes. Is, uh, isn't your football team doing something, your organization? I think they, yeah, they food and uh, housing people, or they're trying to do some uh, fundraising. Yeah. Cool. Is, your, is your season going to be affected then with you guys over there, or is it? As of now, everything is, is still clear. If Russia keeps making moves, who knows? But I think um, 
it's going to be fun. Nick Nick loves being in that spot. I'll tell you, he loves it. He was right. He he was in the forefront of the pandemic. I mean, he was in uh, Italy when it hit. And so, what you, you, should, be a, you should be a journalist, Nick. That's it. That's your calling, buddy. I, I kind of do with the my yeah. podcast. So you are, yeah. Anyways, hey, another great episode. Make sure to give us a, a like, thumbs up. It was great to have uh, Mark on here. We'll have some more yeah. guests coming on. We post three digest digestible clips a week on Facebook, and then uh, leave a review on Spotify. You can now or iTunes, and have a wonderful day. See you guys. Right. See you, boys. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.